0: The Israeli-Hamas war and its impact on Palestine draws protesters to Harrisburg and a call for an end to anti-Semitism in Philadelphia. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Just a reminder, support for The Morning Agenda comes from the City of Lancaster, helping create a magical holiday season in the city by offering shopping from nearly 150 small businesses to find gifts for friends and family. More details at visitlancastercity.com. A good morning to you. It is Monday, December 11th, and this is being recorded at 9.15 a.m., I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories together. Let's get started. Pro Palestine supporters from across the state are calling for an end to Israel's occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports at a rally in Harrisburg there was consensus on the necessity of a permanent ceasefire. Hundreds of protesters
1: came to Harrisburg many taking buses from other parts of the state. Karim Al-Sharafa is a Gazan-American activist and speaker at the event. He says the solution to the relentless fighting would be equality for all in the region.
0: The path forward would mean life between Israelis and Palestinians, um, to be uh, giving humanity and dignity to all individuals. Protesters began at the Capitol but wound up marching through the rain to the governor's residence before returning to the Capitol building. Federal and state elected leaders, along with faith and community members, have rallied against anti-Semitism at a synagogue in North Philadelphia. Corey Sharper from our partner WHYY in Philly has the details. Inside the place of worship Sunday, Governor Josh Shapiro addressed the
1: hundreds of people, many of whom carried signs that read, Zero Tolerance for Anti Semitism. At one point, Shapiro reflected on his time as Pennsylvania Attorney General when in 2018 a white supremacist shot and killed 11 worshipers in Pittsburgh. That Sunday, at the end of that weekend, I drove across the Commonwealth because I wanted to be here with all of you that night. I wanted to be here because I knew that in this place of worship, that we could find strength in one another at an extremely difficult time. And strength and empowerment, indeed, we found.
0: Now, the rally came less than 24 hours after the resignation of UPenn's University President, Liz McGill, and the Board of Trustee Chair, Scott Bach. With the final legislative session of 2023 drawing to a close, lawmakers are releasing the schedule for next year. They won't return for voting sessions until after St. Patrick's Day in March. House Speaker Joanna McClinton says fixing damage caused by a burst heating coil will prevent the House from doing business in the first two months of 2024. Repairs are expected to begin January 5th and end by March 18th. Now, in past sessions, there have been some voting in January and February. And the Philadelphia Eagles remain in control of the NFC East after rare consecutive losses and allowing the Dallas Cowboys to match them atop the division. But the 10-3 Eagles are also far from being a dominant team after a 33-13 loss at Dallas last night. There are red zone struggles for the defense, close scores even in wins, and the three fumbles in the latest game. Philly has lost consecutively for the first time this season, this one a week after its 42-19 home defeat to San Francisco. But the Eagles will not play a team with a winning record in any of their four final games. Once I got settled into the office this morning after my drive into work, I went through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania, checking for stories that may be of interest to you. They could cover issues that may impact you or your community in the future, or they just might be plain interesting. So here's what you need to know. We're going to update you now on a story we've been talking about over the last few months. Three former police officers and one Northumberland County community are slated to go to trial early next year. The Daily Item reports jury selection is scheduled to start on February 5th at the federal courthouse in Williamsport. Former Mount Carmel officer Kyle Shar, retired Lieutenant David Donkachik, and former officer Jonathan McHugh were arrested this past June. A federal indictment alleges in 22 different arrests, all three used excessive force, including but not limited to punching, kicking, choking, tasing, beating, and body slamming arrestees. So prosecutors allege the three officers took steps to ensure that video of the arrest was not captured by police cameras or if footage incriminating them was captured, failed to take steps to ensure that footage was preserved. The incidents are alleged to have taken place from 2018 through 2021. And county commissioners across the region are working on their budgets for the next fiscal year. The Lebanon Daily News reports the board in Lebanon County has passed a preliminary $94.4 million spending plan that does include a tax hike. Commissioners cite rising costs and an increased deficit. The average assessed value of homes throughout the county is just above a quarter million dollars, so most homeowners with that value would see their taxes increase by about 650 a month on average. This would be the third tax increase since 2016 in the county. The deficit, by the way, is at $5 million. Now, let's take a bit of a deeper dive into the mysterious death of a federal prosecutor named Jonathan Luna. He was found face down in a creek in Lancaster County 20 years ago this month. The circumstances around his death remain a mystery to this day and have been the subject of podcasts and conspiracy theories. Was he murdered? Did he take his own life? How did he end up in Lancaster County? Dan Neefan, who's with our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online, has spent some time taking stock of the case and where the investigation stands. He joins me now to share what he's found out. Hey, Dan. Good
1: morning, Tim. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Why don't we start off with this? Who was Jonathan Luna?
1: Jonathan Luna was a federal prosecutor in in the Baltimore office for Maryland. He was there a few years uh, before his mysterious death, married, father of two young boys.
0: Now, can you take us back to December 4th, 2003? That was the day his body was found in Brecknock Township.
1: The body was found at a well drilling company. An employee came into work around 5 a.m., Goes in, makes coffee, gets ready for for work. Then he comes out, gets in a truck, and notices this red light in an area of the property. My thought is he, you know, shined the truck light, or as the truck light's driving around, it illuminated it. Was the vehicle there before 5 a.m., or did it arrive between 5 and shortly after when when this guy came out in his vehicle? He notices this light, and it's a dashboard light, goes over and sees it. It's a vehicle, and he thinks it's a crash, notifies police. He doesn't like go check it out or anything. The state police come over, check it out, also think, you know, initially it's a crash. Then they notice blood on the passenger front quarter panel and door, and the car is like angled down over a slight embankment into this small creek, and Jonathan Luna's body is underneath there.
0: So what were the initial findings in this case?
1: The initial findings here by the medical examiner, the forensic uh, forensic pathologist, was homicide. And oddly enough, he has 36 stab wounds, mostly uh, to his neck. Most of them said to be shallow. What actually causes death, though, is taking in of water. So the death cause is freshwater drowning, Manner homicide. Early on in the case, through... Anonymous source leaks to largely Baltimore and Washington D.C. media outlets. Federal investigators start floating that this could be a death by suicide, that he might have taken his life for some reason. But throughout, the coroner's here and that now our current coroner has still stuck with this, and it's the same same forensic pathologist. After a while, it seems in in Baltimore that federal authorities there just sort of fizzled it out and thought that, you know, it was probably something in his personal life, unrelated, and that they believe, again, through anonymous sources, nobody definitively said, here's why we think it's a suicide, but that it's a suicide. Surprisingly, the case is still also open down there.
0: So Dan, 20 years, unsolved case, we'll say unsolved case. What inconsistencies did you find uh, while you were reporting this story?
1: I don't know that there are exactly inconsistencies, but just oddities about the case. Well over 100 state troopers and cadets searched the area immediately, and no weapon was, was immediately found. Then, I think it was in March of 2004, uh, Baltimore paper, I believe it was, reported that recently, uh, or recently investigators had found... Jonathan Luna's ten knife in the stream, and that that was believed to be the weapon that was used uh, to to make the 36 stab wounds. The exact circumstances of its discovery, like what what day, where in the creek, haven't come to light. Um, they were pretty well able to document his trip through Easy Pass and cash withdrawals that he made on this odd trip. He leaves the federal courthouse in Baltimore, goes into drives into Delaware into New Jersey, and then into Pennsylvania, and he ends up here in Lancaster County. But there's a couple periods unaccounted for, including uh, about an hour uh, in Jersey, and then sometime between when he got off the turnpike here in Pennsylvania uh, at the Denver exit, at which time a ticket was taken, even though he had an easy pass. So that's odd. Uh, and then to get from that exit to where his car, his body was ultimately found, it would be about a 10-minute drive if, if you know where you're going. But from the time he was got off that exit to to being found, there's like a larger time gap.
0: So where exactly do things stand today, two decades later?
1: I, I wish I had a better answer than this, Then I don't know. Up here, the state police... Um, consider it an active active investigation. We don't have we don't have the autopsy records we tried to get those through through right to know and a, a court battle, but we lost that. Uh, I think if we could see where those marks were, that might shed some light on could this possibly be a suicide?
0: I've been speaking with Dan Neafin with our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online. He's written a series of stories about the mysterious death of federal prosecutor Jonathan Luna, whose body was found in a Lancaster County Creek two decades ago this week. Hey, Dan, thanks for your time and great work on this this series. Thank you. And you can check out Dan's series of stories at LancasterOnline.com. Well, The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts and on WITF's YouTube channel. You probably know that already. But did you know, if you like what you hear, you can share it with your friends and on your social media channels and play a big part in spreading the word about The Morning Agenda. All right, let's turn to some music now. What is the one song you are thinking about today? Reach out to me on Twitter or Blue Sky. I'm at TLambert895 on both of those platforms. Be sure to check out our Spotify playlist as well. It's the Morning Agenda Song of the Day, December 2023. And there you will find today's Song of the Day by me. It's Public Enemies. Welcome to the Terror Dome. Support for The Morning Agenda comes from the City of Lancaster, helping create a magical holiday season in the city by offering shopping from nearly 150 small businesses to find gifts for friends and family. More details can be found at visitlancastercity.com. And that is going to do it for The Morning Agenda today. It's a daily news podcast from WITF where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always, always appreciated. So be well, enjoy the rest of the day, and we will talk again tomorrow.